Hello again, everyone. Welcome to it. Happy New Week. Happy end. Well, it's not that technically. I guess it is the last whole week of October, although Halloween is next Monday. What the hell ever. I'm Derek Hunter. I'm your host. Happy Monday to you. Uh, Action-packed program ahead for you. Let me just tell you that if you're waiting to find out whether or not you won the book, you have to wait till the end. Because at the end of the show, I will announce who wins which book and... A uh, the new book that's going to be in there, the autographed book this week. Somebody, I believe, I maybe no. This person was on the show a long time ago, back when it was with the Daily Caller, and I gave away one of this person's autographed books. It was wildly popular at the time, and uh, it might be wildly popular again. You'll just have to wait to see who it is. Uh, or you can just skip ahead to the end or go to patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcaster DerekHunter.locals.com and find out. But what's the fun in that? That's like going in your parents' closet before Christmas. That's, that's near the end of my, uh, or their belief that I still had a belief in uh, jolly old St. Nick. They got really kind of late. They were, there was a time when they kept it in the attic, the toys in the attic, the, the stuff they'd put in the attic. And uh, I found it up there, too. And then by the end, they just uh, put it in the closet. They didn't even throw any like clothes over it. And I went in there. All, I ruined every Christmas. I really sucked. Anyway, <laughs> you don't need to know that. Let's uh, get on with the program. Lots going on. Lots going on. Always things going on. And now the news comes down that uh, <sighs> the continued politicization criminalization really of disagreement with the political left continues steve bannon has been sentenced four months in prison and a sixty five hundred dollar fine this is how this is not politico this is how uh, newsweek describes it and i'm sure that uh, liberals all across the land are pleasuring themselves to this thought a judge has sentenced Steve Bannon to four months in prison and will have to pay a $6,500 fine for refusing to cooperate with the Congressional January 6th Committee. Refusing, you are under every obligation to cooperate with government, should government demand your cooperation. That Fifth Amendment thing is for suckers. Everything else, everything else, no. The fact that Steve Bannon wasn't in government at the time and what the hell they want to talk to him about doesn't matter. You will understand and recognize that you are subservient to government. I say this as somebody with no love for Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon has always been nice to me, nice enough to me. Uh, I've known him for a very long time, since before he was at Breitbart, when he was making documentaries. And he's always been perfectly nice. I never worked for him, never worked with him. Anybody who has, has a different opinion on the subject, and they're free to. I'm just speaking from my personal experience. And I, be honest with you, the people who tell me the bad stories are people I trust who have uh, worked with him, worked for him. I get it. And I believe them. So it's not like I, I think these things are out of left field. Steve Bannon probably is not somebody I would enjoy working for. 
That being said, so what? There are plenty of people I would not enjoy working for. That doesn't mean they should go to jail. There are plenty of people with whom I disagree politically. That does not mean they should go to jail. But the left is making it mean that. You did not cooperate. You didn't. Okay, let's get a Republican president in office, if only for the express purpose of pressing charges against Eric Holder for his refusal to cooperate and turn over documents in the Fast and Furious investigation. Can we do that? We should do that. That one actually cost human beings' lives. An American citizen, Brian Terry, the Border Patrol agent, was murdered using one of the guns that Eric Holder forced the sale of. And Eric Holder refused to turn over documents related to that. That's a murder investigation. Not a riot investigation. It's not a bad three hours. It's somebody being murdered. Somebody was murdered on January 6th, but Ashley Babbitt's life doesn't count because she voted for Trump. Watch MSNBC, watch the clowns in the morning show, which are the only people who even the network pretends are to be taken seriously. The network looks at everybody else in there and goes, yeah, you know what? After nine o'clock, it's a crap. You're on your own. And even those people go just dismiss Ashley. Ashley Babbitt's a little too. She deserved to be shot. Okay. You can have that attitude, but you know, you can't really say her life mattered less than Brian Sicknick's, can you? Well, no, Brian Sicknick, they pretend Brian Sicknick was murdered on January 6th. He died of a stroke on January 7th. Or the other two officers who killed themselves weeks later. That's kind of a a different thing. You're, You're concerned about people who killed themselves weeks later. Now, that's fine. You can be concerned for their family, and that's fine, okay? But... When you have, I don't know, somebody who is just straight up murdered by a Mexican drug cartel with a weapon provided to them, and make no mistake, it was provided to them, the the sale of which was forbidden, but required, ordered by the Justice Department from the gun seller, And then the government didn't track them. And so, boom, the gun shows up in the hands of the cartel that you were forced to sail to. And suddenly, a Border Patrol agent is murdered. You immediately go into wildly defensive mode, saying, wait a second, these are our guns. Now we know where the guns went. All right, let's make sure that nobody ever finds out how this program came about being. And with the help of the media and the entirety of the Democrat Party, not a, again, this is one of those things where you're sitting there going, is there not a single decent Democrat left on earth? Is there not one? Is there not one? And you sit there and you go, all of them say now, well, geez, I don't know what a woman is. It could be anything. And you have to ask yourself, is there not a single Democrat out there who goes, I know what a woman is. What the hell are we doing here? What the hell is going on? There's not one because they're either stupid or terrified, terrified of their rabid base. And so they just go, well, we may never, one of the mysteries for the ages, we may never know. Just like the total number of stars, we may never know the total number of genders out there because whatever you feel like, Uh, On any given day, you can declare yourself. And then you add that to the infinite number of pronouns that you can make up. 
and uh, all are legitimate. And who are we to say otherwise? Like, really? Really? Those people are sitting there going, "Well, who can uh, who can really figure out what happened here with Brian T- Brian Terry? It's it's a tragedy, but let's let's not go into that. Let's not even think about that." Wait a second. I got an idea. How about we find out who authorized this program? If only not for criminal prosecution, but for uh, the prevention of it happening again. Because if these were wildly stupid people, as I think we can all agree, wildly stupid person would authorize, in fact, mandate the sale of weaponry to sworn enemies of the United States and then not track the guns. If they're dumb enough to do that, they're dumb enough to do all sorts of things, and it would be in the interest of the United States of America to make sure that people who were involved in that did not ever again get anywhere near the levers of power, right? I think, right, I think that's pretty damn good. You don't, the, uh, oh God, what was his name? I had it on the tip of my tongue, as a matter of fact. Whoever, the captain of the Exxon Valdez. Nobody's looking to hire that guy, right? Nobody's looking to hire that guy. Why? Because we all saw what he did. We all saw what he did. And they said, well, I'm not going to hire that guy to pilot my ship anymore. There you go. Hazelwood. That's right. Captain Hazelwood. Nobody's like, well, he's he's available now. <laughs> okay, he's he's available now. There's a reason he's available now. It's so sad and so weird that so many of the... Uh, so many industries and so many things in politics and so many things in hell in media in radio. Oh, this person was program director. Yeah, they're awful. They got fired because of uh, whatever sexual harassment. Oh, all right. that's terrible. But uh, so we're looking for somebody. That means he's available, right? Yeah, he's he's available because he was fired. Well. I don't want somebody who's available. I want somebody who's unavailable. I want somebody who, when I go after them, the company they currently work for says, you're not getting this person. We're going to do whatever we have to do. I want a bidding war. I want somebody in charge who you have to have a bidding war for. Not the guy who's sitting on the beach going, geez, will I ever work in the business again? And they go, oh, yes, they're non-disclosure agreements. So I don't ever have to worry about uh, what I did get fired for ever coming or even that I was fired. I, I quit to spend time with my family, but now I'm looking for a job three weeks later. So much of what we're told about life in general is just BS. Nobody ever leaves to spend time with their family. Even you see somebody, I'm leaving t- Congress to spend more time with my family. Like, okay, you, you live in Utah and you're, you're living in New York now because you, you got a job on TV. I I don't know. Is your family still in you? How's that family thing going? (laughs) It's sports, too. I want to spend more time with my family. But if you know of anybody who's looking for a quarterback, uh, I'll give you a shot again. How about you just do it? Does everybody have to lie? Apparently, everybody has to lie. But only Steve Bannon has to go to prison. Now, in Bannon's case, I love the way that uh, Newsweek's uh, framing on this one. This sentence, meaning four months and $6,500 fine, is the middle ground between the state's recommendation for six months and a $200,000 fine and Bannon's hope for probation. So it is uh, middle ground. I, I'm, I'm pretty good at math, but I don't even need to break out the calculator function to know that 
four months on a scale of six months is two thirds of the way to six months, right? That's that's not half. That's more than half. Half would be three months if it were the middle ground. I mean, granted, I suppose you could just say the middle ground is any ground between six months and zero days, right? And therefore, anything is in the middle. Everything in the sandwich is in the middle of the sandwich if you put it between two slices of bread. But that's not really what is being talked about here. Because the fine, middle ground of the fine is $100,000 and he's got a $6,500 fine. Now, I don't know. I would say that uh, Steve would prefer, and I don't know, look, Steve's going to make money off of this no matter what. They, they seem to think that they can destroy Bennett. They're going to make him more powerful in the world in which he's already powerful and he's going to make more money because that's just one of the things I know about Steve is he'll find a way to parlay this thing into making a lot of money. But if given the, a normal person, given the choice between, you know, one side, you go $200,000 fine, no, we'll cut that down to $6,500. That is, what, 3%, 3.5%, somewhere in there, of the $200,000 potential fine. And you have to do four months, which is two-thirds, or 60% of the fine. That's not actually 67% of the actual time. I think people would go, I'd rather pay 67% of the fine and serve 3% of the time. So it's not really all that much of a compromise considering Steve is up there in age and time is finite for everybody in general. Oh, it's only four months and you can get two months with good behavior. Nobody wants to do any time. This was a message sent by the Biden administration, sent by Democrats. As long as we control government, and it's really just the executive branch, we will come after you if you cross us. If you cross us at all. Eric Holder is laughing all the way to a bank. I'm sure he'll be on MSNBC at some point soon talking about how, well, Steve Bannon is a special kind of awful, and while nobody's ever really been sent to prison for contempt of Congress— because, well, Congress doesn't really have the power to send people to prison and Congress doesn't, like the subpoena power, it's just a little bit sketchy. It's all justified, Eric Holder will say, because Steve Bannon is a particular type of awful. He is a Donald Trump type of awful. Honestly. Now here's the last, here's another update that uh, Newsweek posted again, just to tell you, you're dealing with, first of all, Republicans never ever conduct any business in Washington, D.C. You will never, the uh, the guy who lied to the FBI, straight up lied to the FBI about the Steele dossier, he gets found not guilty by a D.C. jury because he's a Democrat. Oh, Democrat? Oh, Democrat. Yeah, Democrat. All right, there you go. Everybody that Durham brings charges against, no matter how strong the case, about 20 seconds after the closing arguments, the jury goes, well, not guilty. He's a Democrat. He's not guilty. He, Democrats aren't guilty of things. And Republicans are like, there's a Republican, he's guilty. Do we have to sit through this whole trial? Do we have to sit around? Can't we just skip to the end? We already know. Some of us have lives. We're only making 15 bucks a day here on uh, jury duty. So can't we please just get to the point where we pronounce sentence on this person? And that's just how it is. Don't live in, don't work in Washington, D.C. if you can avoid it. Do everything remotely. 
and refuse to go there. But Republicans also have to learn this, that the investigations into Democrat corruptions cannot take place in Washington, D.C., and they cannot take place around Washington, D.C., Northern Virginia, suburban Maryland, forget it. They need to be conducted, find some way to connect them to a red area of the country and investigate them there. See how Democrats like that big old dose of their own medicine. But anyway, Newsweek writes, before delivering his sentence for Bannon, Judge Nicholas discussed the events of January 6, 2021. So what? He said, quote, the events of January 6th were undeniably serious, noting how rioters used violence against law enforcement officers and engaged in vandalism. <gasps> the horror, of, not vandalism. The January 6th committee thus has every reason to investigate what happened that day and said Bannon has not produced a single document to the committee and has not provided any testimony on any topic. He offered to testify. They said, no, we'd rather prosecute you instead. What documents would he have? He'd left the White House years earlier. What is he expected to provide? What is he expected to do? No, he's just expected to comply. He was expected, like everybody else up there, expected to cooperate, get a videotaped deposition, come in for 12 hours, we're going to talk to you about every manner of things, and then they're going to cut up 14 seconds for their next public show trial hearing. Where they go, look at Steve Bannon, where he says, Donald Trump is terrible and he caused the riot. Ah, see, even Steve Bannon admits it. Now, what's missing is the context where the entire clip says, well, if you watched MSNBC, you would come away with the idea that Donald Trump is responsible for the rise, a horrible monster and responsible for the riot. But that's simply not true. If you just cut out that middle piece, then suddenly you get exactly what you want. That's why we haven't seen full testimony released from the committee. We've only seen the snippets of 10 to 15 seconds that they've decided to play for us during their choreographed show trials. It is a total and complete scam. Steve Bannon is probably not a good person. You wouldn't want to be in business with him. But he doesn't deserve to go to jail for that. If you want to convict him of something, convict him of an actual crime not upsetting Democrats. But there is a lot going on in the world, and I want, to, uh, I want to talk about the President of the United States. By the way, later on in the show, I've got a nice three-part play, if you will, of these protest protesters over in Germany. They've glued themselves to a showroom floor, I think it is, at a Volkswagen's world headquarters. And it just it didn't work out well for the leader of them. And so it's kind of, he, he had time enough to record three videos uh, over the course of the, I don't know, 48 hours or 40 hours or whatever he was there. And uh, each one is progressively more hilarious, not because it's inherently comedy, but because these leftist lunatics, uh, his you can feel his dreams derailing and reality setting in. And nobody cares and his health having problems. And you sit there and you go, what kind of idiot? And then you go, oh, yes, he's a psych sociology professor. That makes perfect sense if you've ever had a sociology class. So we'll get to that. But I want to talk about the president of the United States. He actually found somebody the other day willing to campaign with him. 
He found somebody willing to campaign with a Democrat out there going, yes, I will happily campaign with the President of the United States. Unfortunately for Joe, it was up in Pennsylvania. It was John Fetterman in the Philadelphia area. Now, in all honesty, if you need to campaign in Philadelphia as a Democrat, you're in trouble. Your internal polling is in trouble. Democrats are going to, they rule Philadelphia. Philadelphia is a hellhole pit. The Democrats have ruined the city. I feel, I wish we could just like airlift out the, the city center area with Independence Hall. I just want the entire complex of Independence Hall taken out and hell, I'd, I'd be happy with it in New Jersey compared to what Philadelphia has become. That's how bad Philadelphia has become. But, uh, the uh, president found somebody willing to campaign with him. It's the person who can't campaign for himself. <laughs> Congratulations. John Fetterman can't understand what's going on. He can read a teleprompter. He's, you know, capable of reading a teleprompter-ish, but, you know, still better than nothing. But he cannot understand human beings when they talk. He cannot understand simple communication uh, between human beings. He can't. He needs to have it transcribed. That was the controversy. That, By the way, that reporter for NBC News who did the Fetterman interview, she has not been heard from since, at least not yet. I, she's going to be out of a job after the sometime before the end of the year. She'll be out of a job. It will be announced that they're uh, paring back some things and they just don't need as many people and there's not the campaign coverage and blah, 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 and they will let her go. Why? Not because she did a poor job. She didn't do a poor job. She asked some questions and she reported, like a reporter supposed to, what she witnessed firsthand, which is in fact better than most reporters because they don't they report on things they didn't witness firsthand. But she dared speak ill of Fetterman, saying that he couldn't really engage in small talk. He didn't have any idea what she was saying, and it was not a, a good scene for him. And the left immediately went crazy. I love when these morons like Stephanie Rule are like responding, going, I interviewed him and I had no problem with it. And Kara Swisher from Vox, the podcaster, I interviewed him for an hour and I had no problem. Yeah, you both did it remotely and you both did it with uh, him reading a teleprompter. That's decidedly not what she's saying. She's saying that if you just go up to him and say, hey, how are you, Mr. Fetterman? He looks at you as if you are making fart noises with your mouth. He has no idea what's going on. Kind of a problem for the uh, quote-unquote world's most uh, uh, greatest deliberative body. Just saying. Seems like it would be an issue if you're talking about a United States senator that a United States senator wouldn't be able to do the job, right? Doesn't matter. He uh, he still wants the president to campaign. It's kind of funny because his wife, Giselle, who's not, uh, definitely not Giselle Bunchen. his wife, Giselle, is running around doing campaign events for him, going to fundraisers, going to various events, and she's posting a ton of pictures of herself she answers questions for him when he's clearly like somebody says hey what are you how are you doing today and he's staring off like he's forrest gump looking at a butterfly and she goes he's doing fine I'm doing fine i'm sure if you saw them eat at home she's chewing up the food and spitting it into his mouth like a a mother bird or something i imagine but uh 
the president found somebody, back to the president, found somebody who wants to campaign with him. Finally. And so when he's leaving the White House to go to Philadelphia, his massive carbon footprint. It's weird. Campaigning via you know, video chat was good enough for Joe. Why is he using such a massive carbon footprint to go campaign around the country now? But as he was leaving the White House, reporters asked him, hey, uh, you got uh, finally somebody wants to talk to you. Somebody wants to be seen with you. Of course, it's the Frankenstein's monster who can't string together a coherent sentence on his own. So you have that in common, but at least you can understand people talking, Joe. And Joe claims that there are 15 people who he's campaigned with. And he's very defensive about this. Very, very defensive about this. This first, then he ups it uh, in Philadelphia. He mumbles on more, and it's really embarrassing. We'll get to that in a second. But first, I want you to hear the President of the United States saying there are 15 people who wanted to campaign with him. John Fetterman's going to appear with you today yeah. in Pennsylvania, but there haven't been that many candidates campaigning with you. Why are That's more not ca- true. There's been 15. Count. Get count. Okay, and are right. there going to be even more? Yeah. Yes. And he goes walking off of that. That's not true. It's 15. It's 15, man. It's 15. It's 15. It's 15. Okay. Well, first of all, I don't know that there are 15. I, I, I think there are significantly fewer than 15. Uh, but at least a couple of them have been in Maryland here, including David Trone. So it's a Democrat. He's the, one of the richest Democrats out there. That he appeared with Wes Moore at an event in uh, Rockville. Again, in a, he's appearing with people who are 25 points ahead in the poll and things like that. And you're expecting him to go, oh, 15 or 15. Another, most importantly, forget the, the fact that he's only been seen with the people who are uh, sitting pretty. But there are, okay, keep in mind, 15 or 15. There are 435 members of the House who are up for election. That means there are 435 races around the country. Then you add in a third of the Senate. third of the Senate. Senate's 100. A third of the Senate is 33. I think there, there's a couple of special elections as well. So you're looking at like 35, 36 Senate seats up this year. Add to the 435. You're getting close to, to 500. And then you add in all the gubernatorial races, and you're well over 500 races in this country that are, you know, of national importance that are getting national attention. That's not to mention, you know, secretaries of states and things like all the state races out there that they don't normally register and they certainly don't rate a visit from the president of the United States. But when the president of the United States does go somewhere, everybody of that party tries to weasel their way onto the dais, onto the platform. If they can get a chance to speak, they love it. But if they can just get a grip and grin photo if the president is popular. So you're well over 500 if you just take the national-focused races. You're well over 1,000 if you take in everything. And Joe Biden is sitting there going, there are 15 people who want to be seen in public with 15. Yeah. Okay, let's remove the safe districts, and you've got, what, two, maybe one? Back to that David Trone who's running against Neil Parrott in Frederick for Congress. It's uh, David Trone. He needs all the help he can get. 
He doesn't even live in the district. He has a mansion in Potomac, Maryland, which, thanks to redistricting, isn't anywhere near the district and isn't anywhere near like the district. David Trone is a fabulously wealthy guy whose main focus in life seems to be, according to his campaign ads, to make sure that his daughters can have abortions and exploiting as many deaths as humanly possible. It's really kind of gross if you look at the Trone campaign. He ran campaign ads on TV. He's got a lot of money. He gave his campaign out of his own pocket. He's self-funded, which means his campaign is 100% special interest funded by money outside the district because he doesn't live in the district. But his first campaign ad that I started seeing was him uh, talk. It was a a father talk. Well, no, the first one was him pretending to be a farmer. He's not a farmer. It's, that's a damn joke. But then he did an ad about the opioid crisis, which you know, credit to him, he's spoken about it more often than the president has spoken about it. Even though there are hundred thousand overdose deaths, almost twice the number of deaths in, in the entirety of the Vietnam War. We had in one year under Joe Biden, and he can't he mentioned fentanyl, what, once that I can think of? But Trone talked about uh, he's fighting fentanyl, and he's got uh, somebody up there in the commercial who lost a child to fentanyl. Horrible situation. Awful situation. And then the ad, and he did this on radio too, then the ad shifts to how David knows the tragedy of fentanyl, the opioid crisis, whatever it was. I don't know what, exactly what the word, verbiage was. It doesn't matter. I don't want to play it. But he, he lost his nephew to the opioid crisis. Now, could you imagine? And then there in the TV ad, there's a picture of David Trone and his nephew. Now, his nephew looks like about 10 in the photograph, which means that they probably haven't been photographed together. It's fuzzy and grainy which means they probably haven't been photographed together in a long, long time. I don't know anything about when his nephew died or what age he was, but I suspect he was much older because the picture was an actual picture and people use digital cameras, particularly incredibly rich people like Trone, for a very long time. So this is an old photograph. But could you imagine that? I mean, when I saw that, I was like, wow, like you want to talk to the lady who lost their kid, lost her kid. That's fine. She's a citizen. She's doing you're you're using the death of a family member, not even your immediate family. You're using the death of one of your siblings, children. And you got to get permission for that. You imagine that phone call. It didn't run for very long. So maybe he didn't actually get permission for it. And somebody complained and they took it down. But imagine that phone call that you should make if you're a decent human being, although a decent human being would never try to use the death of, a, of your sibling's child. Uh, you might call up and say, hey, uh, look, uh, I know things are tough for you. You lost a child, and it's going to be the worst thing ever. But using that would help me in my campaign. And as somebody worth hundreds of millions of dollars who owns, I think, total wine and more and fabulously wealthy and nothing better to do, and I just absolutely love uh, my own glory and, and getting as much power as humanly possible for myself, uh, rather than bow out gracefully and recognize that uh, my time is over in Congress or running in the district in which I actually live, because you'd have to run against Jamie Raskin, 
I, who he lost to the first time when he spent more money than anybody ever had in a primary and lost, still to this, he holds the record. It was like six years ago, and he still holds the record for the most money wasted on a primary. But he's got it, so it doesn't matter. And you, you got to ask yourself, can I, uh, do you mind if I use your son's tragic death to advance my political career? Do you imagine, could you ever, any part of you envision making that phone call asking that question of your sister your brother and hey do you mind if i exploit the worst thing that ever happened to you for my own political gain the only thing worse well aside from just using it would be not asking it's my understanding or i've been told by somebody who'd probably know that trone's family is not particularly fond of david trone for whatever reason, inner workings of families are inner workings of families, and nobody will ever understand unless you're in it, and then you probably still won't. But you can kind of figure that if one of them, the family member, is even inclined to consider something as disgusting as that, that the rest of the family might not be a super fan. Can you blame them? So while David Trone is a horrible human being, and Joe Biden finally found somebody who will campaign. By the way, did you know Joe Biden went up to Pennsylvania to campaign with John Fetterman? And John Fetterman didn't speak at all at the event where Joe Biden was. Did you know? How bizarre is that? Oh, I bring the president up. Oh, the people are so happy to be my friend and be seen. And then he wasn't even on stage with the guy. The president of the United States wasn't even on stage with the guy. Okay, yeah, that's great. Well, it's it's not because he was. It's not because Fetterman was embarrassed to be seen with the president of the United States. It's because if there was any, Joe would not be able to go. Hey, uh, this is how you do things. This would be right. How you doing, pal, or anything like that? No. The president of the United States says anything to Fetterman, and there's absolutely no way in the world Fetterman can understand what he's saying. So he just kind of would stand there like a, I don't know, a weirdo. He is a weirdo. It's very bizarre. John Fetterman, I saw John Fetterman in a suit for the first time in this uh, footage of him going up there. And you're like, oh, that he, he must have looked normal because you put a suit on anybody, and it just seems like you... Uh, you become normal looking. But no, he's, Fetterman has that weird thing on his neck. I don't know. Nobody's ever explained. It just seems like Lord Voldemort growing out of the back of his neck. And he, so he has to wear like a 28-inch collared shirt. And his head is very small relative to the rest of his gigantic body. So it's just really weird looking. And he's sitting there fully unaware of what everybody around him when you're standing around waiting for somebody they have conversations right that's what that's the way people are is you got a group of people probably familiar with each other they're all democrats they're all involved in democrat polit uh, politics in the state of pennsylvania so they've they've at least seen each other and if you're standing around for 10 15 minutes waiting for the president to show up you kind of just bs you shoot the breeze whatever fetterman is standing there looking absolutely clueless in every way anybody can look clueless. And that's to be understandable in that 
you've got a guy who it looks more awkward because he's taller than everybody else. He's like six foot eight or something like that. So he's towering over everybody and standing there looking dumbfounded. That's the word, dumbfounded. It's uh, something to behold. Anyway, back to the president. As they go to uh, a, a little, I don't know, coffee shop or something, maybe Joe wanted the donut or whatever the hell it was. And uh, another reporter, somebody with a camera phone anyway, asked Joe Biden, because remember, he said, there are 15 people who want to be seen with me. This is about an hour later, and suddenly there's somebody else been added to that list. But in addition to saying that there's 16 people and more more people lining up at the door to get to be seen with Joe Biden, he also... (sighs) It's one of the, it's a mumble. It's just a mumble. If you, it's hard to figure out what in the hell he's talking about. I have an isolation on it. We'll hear the isolation on it after we hear the whole thing in context. And maybe you can pick up on it. Maybe you're, maybe your hearing is a little bit better than mine, but he's just, he sounds like a drunk, which Joe Biden isn't. Joe Biden is a teetotaler. He does not drink alcohol. So this is Joe Biden sober seemingly slurring his speech. Sir, why don't more candidates want to be seen in public with you like Mr. Betterman? What are you talking about? Tim Ryan in Ohio said he doesn't want you there. Warnock said wouldn't say. Do you think they're making a mistake? No, there are 16 there. I've already gone in for yet and a lot more than that. Another 20 or so. I'm going to be going in. But does anybody want the 16 and the motor 100? What? Well, here's the isolation on it. See, now pay. You've heard it once. It's always hard to catch something the first time through. So here's just a very specific isolation on whatever the hell it was Joe Biden was trying to say. No, there are 16 there. I've already done it for yet, and a lot more to ask. Another 20 or so. so I'm going to be going there. Huh? The 16 of them. Listen, pal. I don't either, you don't, you call me a drunk, you're the drunk. I have not even yet begun to drunk. There are 16 of them, there's 20 more, we're going to be going, to go. we're trying to figure, anybody believe this? Anybody believe this guy? This guy is, um, well, like I say, he's a teetotaler. But he's absolutely clueless. But it, this is the best they could do. This is Joe, Joe Biden's day to shine. He, as president of the United States, wants to be out there campaigning. He wants to be out there to be seen. What's the point of being president of the United States? You can't peacock around the country going, look at me, I'm awesome, I'm awesome, I'm awesome. It's just that nobody wants to be seen with him. And the one candidate he does in a high-profile race who does want to be seen with him is wants to be seen with him because that candidate can't campaign himself. He's incapable of it. Meanwhile, down in Georgia, the left is celebrating this. There's a guy, I've never heard of him, called Jason Selvig. Some kind of, I don't know, part of a movie. The the supporters movie, whatever the hell it is. It's part of a supposed comedy group called The Good Liars. They're left-wingers, of course, because comedy is wildly unoriginal these days and it's not even funny anymore and this guy's at an event down in georgia with herschel walker and there he is on stage trying to give 
Herschel Walker some condoms. Now, how he got on stage, I don't know. And why somebody doesn't punch him, I don't know. Herschel Walker is greeting people at the front of the stage, as candidates do at the end of a rally. But people who go up on stage, usually there's some kind of security who keeps people off the stage. Since this guy got on there, one would think it would be perfectly permissible to hit him because he is trespassing. He is somewhere where he's not, and there is no reason to understand or know or think that this guy is anything, uh, uh, is not a threat. You should think he's a threat. If you go up to a candidate like this, you should think that this person is a threat. You should take that threat seriously, especially when you're dealing with left-wing lunatics. I wouldn't have minded seeing this guy decked. It'd be kind of funny. But the left is celebrating this. So this means that this is game on. They have once again lowered the bar. The bar was, you, you know, you respect people's personal space. You don't trespass. No, that's go- on the campaign trail. It's game on. Just go out there, run up to, say, Frankenstein, John Fetterman up there. He can't understand you when you speak. So film him. Go up there with your camera and ask him basic questions. Lieutenant Governor Fetterman, do you know what time it is? Hey, which way to the McDonald's? Whatever. How do I know this? Ask him basic questions. Don't ask him complex questions. And watch him not be able to answer them. Democrats have set these rules. You can violate personal space. You can go out there and uh, just run up to candidates and record yourself. He's mic'd up and everything. It's all perfect. It's it's none of this is by accident. It's a publicity stunt. But you can if they're doing it, you can do it. Right? Those are the rules. They change the rules. I've said it before. I'll say it again. It's absolutely appropriate. The only thing the high road sees you. The only thing taking the high road gives you is. A really nice view of your defeat. If your other, if your opponents are going to get down in the mud, you get down in the mud with them. If your opponents are going to get down in the mud, you get down in the mud with them, and you shove as much mud as you possibly can into their miserable faces, into their mouths, until they choke on it. They set these rules. You didn't, but damn it, you're going. If these are the rules, you better be prepared to win, no matter what rules they decide to use. Sitting around while somebody's beating you with a, a baseball bat going, Marcus of Queensbury rules we should, is never going to work. Never going to be good. You're not going to win. So spare yourself the thought of that at all. We can all just get a No. This is what these people do. This is how these people are. Make them take a big old greasy dose of their own medicine. It's their own damn fault if it's a suppository. And they don't want to take it. Back to uh, Joe, by the way. One of the things about Giselle, Fetterman's wife, is the running joke is that she's running for for um, Senate. She's the real candidate. Since he can't do it, he can't do the job, he can't, he can't understand things, that she's going to be running the show. If you know anything about Woodrow Wilson, after one of his many, many, many strokes... His wife began keeping people away from him, and she put things in front of him for him to sign. Him and his chief, her and his chief of staff, they would do that. 
and people didn't know they had to do proof of life one time because people thought he'd had they knew he had a stroke but they thought he's he's incapable of communication he's really dead and so they they brought people in to see him and he performed well and then he went back to being sort of an invalid and convalescing he recovered but still fetterman is that way and his wife is that way she's running around yesterday somebody asked her uh Fetterman, a question, they were at a, with with Joe Biden, they were at a Build Back Better event is what it was. It was an infrastructure thing near a bridge. And the guy with the camera asked him, Mr. Lieutenant Governor, are you happy with the progress of the bridge? Now, he, of course, is standing there. He doesn't know what the hell's going on. He has no idea what's being said. It's like it might as well be a foreign language to him. And his wife says, we're not doing interviews. That's not an interview. That's just a basic question. It's a basic question about the event he is there to attend. Of course, he didn't speak at that event because he can't speak, but that's beside the point. She jumped in and saved him, adding again fuel to the fire, the idea that she's really going to be the puppet master to this incompetent, incapable person. Then you go and you look at her Facebook page, Giselle Fetterman. Former illegal alien, by the way, of course she is. She's a big, big, big lefty, and she's bisexual. She's very proud of the fact that she's bisexual, which to me means she doesn't have much in life to really be proud of, that if you're proud of your sexuality, like, really? You've accomplished nothing in life to be literally proud of? You're like, hey, I sleep with these people. Congratulations. Put that on your resume. She might, actually. But she posted four pictures of herself from the event with the President of the United States. Not a one of them contained her husband, the candidate. Now, these are candidate-style photos. There she is outside of Air Force One. She actually was on Air Force One. She posted a picture of herself with a bag full of M&Ms bag full of M&Ms from Air Force One going, oh, and a picture of her with Biden. And that's what she's doing. That's where she is. But there's no pictures of her husband. But she loves her husband. Don't worry. She absolutely loves her husband, right? <laughs> but the president of the United States was speaking about it, and he did mention her. Now, listen to this. This is another Biden gaffe. And this is why, if you are at all capable... And Fetterman isn't at all capable. But if you are at all capable and you're a candidate for office and there is an event at which you can speak, you should speak at that event because otherwise you're just going to be relying upon some out-of-touch senile fool who will say that your wife is going to be great in the Senate. Huh? I was saying something nice about you. That's why I went out. And, uh, but I'm saying we're going to try like the devil to keep you from having to, we're not having to, deciding to leave. I wish you didn't. And, and, and John, thank you uh, very much for, uh, for running. I really do appreciate it. And, Zell, you're going you're gonna to be a great, uh, a great lady in the Senate. You're going to be a great lady in the Senate because obviously your idiot husband couldn't possibly do the job. There's no way he... He, you're going to be the puppet master. Nobody works a marionette like you, Zell. So congratulations on that. Now at that, if John Fetterman can speak, 
If John Fetterman could communicate, if John Fetterman were up to the job of a United States senator, that would just be Biden screwing up. That would just be a Biden screw up. But since John Fetterman can't speak, since John Fetterman at a campaign event, campaigning with the president of the United States, can't speak, doesn't speak, then that leaves people to fill in the blanks. Because a normal person, look, if, if your wife or husband loves you and you had a stroke and it's going to be a long, arduous process to recover from that stroke, they say you should probably drop out of this race. It happened before the primary. So, you know, Democrats screwing over the party. Democrats could nominate somebody else. Your top priority, if you love somebody, honey, your top priority is recovery. Giselle Fetterman said no such thing. She's been running for him. She wants that job. There are some people who simply want the prestige of being married to a member of Congress, House or Senate. It's sad, it's sick. And then when you look at her left-wing activism and how much, like anybody who's super proud of being bisexual, like it's an accomplishment or something, that person needs external validation. They need it. A left-wing activist, there is nothing more pathetic than a left-wing activist on a mission. They would stomp all over anybody and everybody, like David Trone using his nephew's death. Well, well, it's good good for the cause. Joe Biden using Joe. Joe can't do it. He's senile. And they go, all right, well, we'll we'll keep running him. I want to be first lady, so screw him. And it seems pretty clear that Giselle Fetterman wants to run the show in the United States Senate. The only thing she won't be able to do is physically vote for him if he makes it. God forbid he makes it to the Senate. But he can. she can make all the decisions. She can write the scripts for him to go down there and deliver a speech. She won't be able to answer questions for him. But then again, he won't be able to answer questions either. And you're a Democrat. Nobody asks you questions anyway. These people, they all deserve each other. All these horrible things, you sit there and you go, that's terrible, that's terrible, that's terrible. Then you realize, but they kind of deserve, there are better ways to deal with this. There are significantly better ways to deal with this, and you can always count on a Democrat to never choose the better way. I want to play you, uh, well, (laughs) the the, uh, Democrats are so lost. They're so pathetically lost. You almost feel badly for them. And you're sitting there, and you're going, my God, they're terrible candidates, and they're horrible people, and they're out there. and they're, ter- they, they're, they're in an unenviable situation. They have a wildly unpopular president at the top of the ticket and an agenda that has been really sort of unfettered in its implementation over the past two years. They control everything. And it has resulted in disaster inflation is through the roof, gas prices are terrible, the world is less stable, China's saber-rattling towards Taiwan, Russia is at war with Ukraine, so on and so forth. And you're just sitting there and you're going, God, these these people, they've really screwed up. So what do you run on when you have that? Well, up in, over in Nevada, they have a Democrat Senator, Catherine Cortez Masto. Now, None of this is a surprise. These people do live in this country. Now, most of these senators are are wildly wealthy. So the cost of living and the cost of their uh, cost of living that they've imposed on us, 
that doesn't really impact them all that much. They're really not concerned too much about it because they don't care. It doesn't matter to them. If it costs $50 or $100 to fill their car up, it's just money. It's a swipe of the uh, black card. The Amex in and out, moving on. But as a politician, you should be painfully aware of the fact that other people aren't exactly in a position to weather that storm very easily with no pain, no nothing. You should be aware of that because part of, uh, you know, since Bill Clinton, I feel your pain. Since then, it's sort of an important thing. People keep electing rich people because rich people are the only ones who can really afford to run most of the time. But when they elect those rich people, those rich people pretend going, oh my goodness, I fully understand what you're going through and I'm right there with you and I get it and I, I'm so sorry and uh, I'll make your life better. Senator Masto, or sorry, Senator Cortez Masto, is so wildly ill-prepared for a question about inflation, the cause of inflation. The cause of inflation is pretty simple. Government spending more money than it has. Printing money to spend it. Printing more money. It's trillions and trillions of dollars. The first act of the President of the United States when he came into office was to push through, I guess the first act was some of his ridiculous uh, executive orders that damaged the oil and gas industry, which actually are part of the reason why inflation is up and why gas prices are so high. But One of the first legislative acts that he did, certainly the one with the biggest hype and biggest hoopla, was what? Was his American Recovery Act. $1.9 trillion in spending that was unnecessary. The country was coming out from the cocoon of COVID. Things were getting back in order. Things were going quite well, as a matter of fact. And now you have... This guy come out and says, here's $1.9 trillion. Well, guess what? That $1.9 trillion didn't exist before. It was printed. It was printed all at once and sent out and spent. And that caused inflation. Along with other other things were contributing factors, but $1.9 trillion is a huge amount of money to suddenly be thrown into the air, into the wind. Pretty simple. Senator Masto, Cortez Masto, sorry, should probably just admit it. You know, look, we made some mistakes. We did so from a place of concern. We weren't sure that how the economy was going, how the country, we thought the country needed help. And so we acted. Should we have acted so harshly? So maybe not now, but hindsight being what it is, you know, you can sit here and make that decision. You can't make that decision at the time because you can only go off of what you can go off of. That's it. Because there's really no denying what what happened. So what you do is you sort of admit it and move on deflect from it in a way she can't she has nothing nothing this makes me think that nevada is more in play than anybody is telling you so you don't think uh this record amounts of new spending and these massive federal relief bills has contributed to the high prices nevadans are seeing today well i will tell you both um democrats and republicans uh, have contributed 
um, to these uh, votes. Uh, and uh, in, uh, when I say votes, that uh, legislation that has actually helped us during this pandemic because we were so hard hit. Um, there is no um, doubt, though, that there's a number of issues we are dealing with. I hear it from Nevadans all the time. <laughs> so you're, you're just going to go out there and tell people that, that none of this has anything to do with inflation. Well, I will tell you that we all voted for lots of things to help uh, Republicans and Democrats. What? Yeah, no, we voted for lots of things to help. Okay, no Republicans voted for that six point or uh, one point nine trillion dollars spending thing you guys did, though. The one that was unnecessary, the one that the banks are saying is the reason, the financial institutions are saying that there is uh, little doubt this caused inflation. Yeah, nobody, no Republicans voted for. That. Well, we're all out there doing these sorts of things. Oh, okay, it's very. Very neat trick you got there, Cortez Masto. How is it these people are so ill-prepared for these? What what questions are they expecting out on the campaign trail? I would love to pick their brains at one of these things. Like, okay, it's obvious that you just crapped the bed on this question, uh, Senator Cortez Masto, which leads me to wonder, you were coming to this interview to be, inter- to be asked questions about your re-election bid. What did you think I was going to talk to you about? What do, what do you think was going to be an issue here? I, I'm rather curious because you clearly, you know, are clueless, oblivious to what the hell is going on in the world. And uh, that's fine. But you're not fooling anybody. We all know that you are um, responsible for that. You could just maybe take just a little bit of personal responsibility. Would you do Or at least acknowledge people's pain. Anything, anything like that? You got anything? And the answer is no. They got nothing. God help us. God help us all. How do these people get in there in the first place? Like, what did they run against? Here's a. It's either uh, Catherine Cortez Masto or a wadded up smelly gym sock. You uh, you decide. I don't know what why it's wadded up or why it's smelly, but there it is, laying on the ground. You can look at it for yourself. You can see the stink lines coming off of it. And, uh, you know, those are your choices. I'd be hard-pressed to go, well, I got to vote for the human because I would look at the human and go, she's got nothing. She's bringing nothing to the table. Whereas, on the other hand, the wadded-up smelly tube sock, it's got some good points. It's got some decent points. Relative to what she says, the wadded-up smelly tube sock has some decent points. Good God. If Republicans don't take the Senate, I mean, there's going to be it's going to be tough. But I hope to God Republicans take the Senate so we can keep people who are less valuable to the gene pool than uh, wadded up, crusty, smelly, used tube socks. We can keep them out of the United States Senate. That that too much to ask. I don't think that's too much to ask, but uh, we shall see. In the time we have left, I want to play you a, a short play in three acts. These environmentalist lunatics over in Germany have been gluing themselves, just like in the UK, all throughout Europe, in fact. They're gluing themselves to cars and gluing themselves to this, that, and the other thing because they're insane in the name of the environment. Well, a group of people glued themselves to the floor of the showroom at the VW headquarters, led by Gianluca Grimalda. He's a... 
He's a sociology professor that tells you everything you need to know. And he set off with the highest of hopes. And uh, in, in three videos, it just shows you the whole left-wing experience. Here he is at the very beginning explaining. They're long clips, but they're worth listening to. Explaining why he and his friends are seeking justice. They're part of some sort of like a scientist rebel group is what they call themselves. I'm Gianluca Grimalda. I'm a researcher in social psychology at a research institute in Germany. And I'm here in the Porsche Pavilion in the Autostadt of Wolfsburg to denounce the responsibility of Volkswagen in the climate emergency that we are facing. Volkswagen is the largest car manufacturer in Europe and the second largest in the world. And the transport sector, the car sector, has a huge responsibility in the climate emergency. There are 12% of CO2 emissions that come from the car sector. So we are here with eight other members of a scientist rebellion and with the six people who are helping us to demand the acceptance of the demands of our campaign. The introduction of a speed limit on motorways in Germany and the reintroduction of the nine euro tickets that allow the people to travel freely well, for nine euros on the public transport in Germany. And we are here because we know as scientists that there is a clear connection between the amount of CO2 emissions and the increase in temperatures. And we have already seen that now with only 1.2 temperature increases since pre-industrial level, we are observing famines, floods, droughts, and, uh, and many other extreme weather events. We know that that is the cause, and we know that uh, we must stop CO2 emissions. We know that uh, we must decarbonize. The uh, standard uh, net zero by 2050, which also Volkswagen complies with, we know that will bring many millions of people dying. We know that for sure, because... Uh, I read the International Panel of Climate Change report, and we know that this is going to happen. So we are here to denounce the role of Volkswagen. We demand the government of Germany to comply with our demands of our campaign. We're going to do this. We're going. We know that people will die, and so we're demanding. They're not going anywhere until their demands are met. Now, just a. Uh, a few short hours later... So it's now 3 p.m. We have occupied the Porsche Pavilion for about 24 hours now. We have set some demands to the CEO of Volkswagen. So we have demanded the CEO to Volkswagen to come here to listen to our demands in front of the press and to subscribe with the demands of our campaign. So first of all, demand... Uh, declare publicly declare that uh, the goal of staying below 1.5 degrees of temperature increase uh, from uh, pre-industrial level is unachievable. Second, uh, decarbonize the transport sector and in particular issue a public statement uh, in support of uh, the introduction of a 100 km per hour speed limit on motorways. Germany is uh, the only country in, in the world, I think, that for whatever reasons don't have any speed limit. Um, uh, reintroduce the 9 euro tickets to travel for, on public transport all around Germany 
Uh, and then we also applied uh, the third demand of our campaign to the specific situation of Volkswagen. So the third demand is about debt cancellation for countries most exposed to the climate emergency. So we demand that Volkswagen, who for sure hold the assets and the bonds from uh, uh, countries that are exposed to the climate emergency, we demand Volkswagen to cancel this debt. Um, we have received no answer so far from the, um, from the CEO, so we, we don't know what is going to happen. Um, yesterday, uh, the, C, the, the manager of the museum said that they wanted to support our right to, to protest, but in fact we found out this morning that electricity, electricity was cut, uh, heating was cut, uh, food did not arrive. Uh, yesterday they brought us some pizza, today nothing. I asked for a medical visit and I had to insist uh, a lot in principle. They didn't want to uh, allow even a doctor to come here and visit me. So this is the treatment that uh, we have received. So definitely they did not want to encourage our protest at all. <laughs> they cut off the power. Isn't that what you're trying to do? You're worried about the carbon footprint of your protest. You want food? You know what? how much CO2 is produced when you produce a meal for some left-wing lunatic gluing them? You glued yourself to the floor of a place, a private property. You're shocked that they weren't welcoming with open arms? Kind of a planet. Where do you come from? And now comes the kicker. Okay, so I, uh, it's now um, 26 hours that I'm on a hunger strike, and uh, I've been glued on this service for... 24 hours. Uh, it has been quite painful uh, during the night. Uh, I had to, it, it was cold, first of all, very cold. I felt that my hands were really cold. Um, and uh, I had to, um, uh, to uh, lay up, to stand up uh, after every two hours because I had the pain in my arm and uh, my hand is now very, very swollen. We, you can compare the two hands. And so eventually, after at least three requests, uh, some doctors have come to visit me. And uh, I mean, I feel so sorry, but they said that it is potentially life-threatening condition because some clots could uh, develop into my hands and then go around my, my blood and uh, cause uh, uh, potentially yeah, life-threatening uh, conditions. So, of course, I don't want to, you know, go that far to risk my life for this protest. Uh, so I have decided to follow the medical advice and uh, to unglue myself and uh, to follow uh, the doctors uh, into the hospital and uh, to yeah, do some exams. And uh, yeah, I don't know what will happen. I will continue the hunger strike in support of the people who are keeping on occupying uh, this place and the people who are supporting this campaign. So I will do it in another way, but uh, yeah, I will still carry on. And yeah, I, I, I feel that maybe I've gone uh, too far. Maybe I, could, I, I should have included, unglued myself yesterday, but I thought, I thought that this was the right thing to do. In a way, it's a new experience. It's something uh, that really challenges my body, but I'm sure that I'll be fine. I, I'm sure. I mean, I feel pain, but not so much. And there's nothing in comparison to the suffering that the people in Africa and other countries have to suffer. 
All right, that's enough. That's enough. That's enough. I do get a kick out of it. I will continue to. Uh, you glued yourself and it's uncomfortable. And then, oh my God, gluing yourself to a, a tile floor isn't good. There might be blood clots if you have your hand smashed flat on a floor. Hey, all right, well, what do you got? You're experiencing pain? Don't you care about the planet, dude? Don't you care about the planet? Oh, I've decided to unglue myself and uh, go back outside, go to the hospital, blah, blah, blah. But I'll continue my hunger strike. <laughs> no, you won't. There's no hunger strike. Hunger strike wasn't part of it. It was the people whose property you violated and glued yourself to the floor of They said, we're not going to let you have food. They were complaining that they weren't allowed to have little basins to defecate in. And I'm like, oh, the hunger strike should take care of that, shouldn't it? Shouldn't you have thought about all these things before you glued yourself to something? I love it when a good protest comes together and then absolutely falls apart. They shouldn't have unglued him. They should have said, well, no, we're with you, pal. Save the planet. Glue them all together. Glue their hair together. Glue their butts together. I don't even care. Just dump them crazy glue. Make a cra- cra- make crazy. If they can make crazy glue or glue in general out of horses, they can make glue out of these idiot leftists who seem to identify with glue. But just so damn stupid. Anyway, that's enough for a Monday, don't you think? All right. The winner of the autographed book, the contest. The book is the Rand Paul book. And the winner is Dr. J. Allen. I think it may be just Dr. because it's just the letter J. But I don't know. Whatever the case is, congratulations, Dr. J., the good doctor. You have won. Check your Patreon messages and get back to me with an address so that I might cover it with stamps and get the book out to you. That means that we've got a vacancy, ladies and gentlemen. Let me reach and grab it because I can't remember the full title of it. That means Judge Janine is back so you can win Judge Janine's book. And I have a friend who works for Rand Paul, so Rand Paul was very popular choice. I will get more Rand Paul books signed. But... This lady was wildly doctor, not doctor. Judge Janine is uh, Piro is wildly popular. She returns, and with liars, leakers, and liberals, and she goes against one of the all-time fan favorites, Michelle Malkin. That's right, Michelle Malkin, returning champion. It's been a long time, but uh, her book, which book? Because she's written a ton of books. This is In Defense of Internment, The Case for Racial Profiling in World War II and the War on Terror, signed by Michelle Malkin herself. Is it a first edition? It is indeed a first edition. I remember when I got this. I met, I, I, she followed me on Twitter. I'd followed her on Twitter for a couple years, and then she was going to be at CPAC. Hell, I don't even know. Five, six years ago, probably even more than that. And I used to only really go to CPAC to get book signs, so I'd carry around this ungodly heavy duffel bag full of books. And I had like five or six books of hers. And uh, I'd messaged with her, DM, like, could you sign these books? Are you going to be around? And she said, sure. And so, like, she was super nice. She's like, come up to my room, open up a room. She's in there. She's got her, she's working like crazy. She's got this set up like... Uh, I don't know, a meticulous home office. And we just chat, shoot the breeze. She says, where's these books? I open up the bag. There's all these books there. 
and uh, she signed every single one of them. Couldn't have been nicer. I was eternally grateful. And now you get a chance to get a taste of that action, a piece of that action. So go to patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast or Derek Hunter.locals.com. That's where you join up to the show. That's where you enter the contest. That's where everything begins and ends and all that sort of stuff. Have yourself a wonderful Monday. We'll be giving one of these away next Monday, and then uh, we'll start all over again. It'll be Halloween, too. Maybe I'll throw in some candy. Thanks for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.